cancer survivor. For nearly one and a half million people in the United States who will be diagnosed with cancer this year, that first word is most frightening. To the more than 12 million who have already heard that word applied to us, the second word is ever so important. Survivor, a word that represents the strength, courage, and determination to face your worst fears and to move forward. Hello, my name is Ellen Stovall, and I am a cancer survivor. Back in 1971, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, a cancer of the lymph nodes. I was one of the fortunate ones who received optimal treatment and quality care. Unfortunately, the disease recurred 12 years after my initial treatment, but again, I was able to receive excellent cancer care. My experience living with, through, and beyond these diagnoses of cancer taught me many things. Probably the most important among them is that each of us can do something to feel in better control during a very frightening time. Even when facing a diagnosis of cancer, we can, with the right tools, take charge of making informed decisions about how we will live our lives. Since my diagnosis, I have met men and women who have taken their experiences with cancer and turned them into positive actions that help others in their communities deal with this difficult diagnosis. They write, speak, and testify about their lives with cancer. By doing so, they allow others who may be living alone with this diagnosis learn how others are surviving. Some of the most impassioned survivors have gone on to become advocates and activists at the national level. In my former role as president and CEO, and in my ongoing work at the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, I have had the good fortune to meet many of these extraordinary survivors who every day help others find the tools that will help them survive. I am especially fortunate to bring you some of these tools that will assist you as you learn about cancer survivorship. Through an unrestricted educational grant from our sponsors, I am pleased and proud to present the Cancer Survival Toolbox. For most of us, cancer is a crisis, perhaps the most serious crisis we've ever faced. Like me, you were probably scared, confused, and overwhelmed. I was in shock. My whole world was suddenly turned upside down. Like you, I had vitally important decisions to make about my treatment, and I didn't know where to start or what questions to ask in order to get the best information. A critical first step after a diagnosis of cancer. There is good news. You can do something. Through the numerous resources available to people with cancer today, you can learn how to take charge in this important decision-making stage of your diagnosis. We hope this series of programs can assist you in becoming an expert about your own survivorship, to learn what to expect medically, how to work with the healthcare system, and deal with cancer-related employment, insurance, and personal issues. Millions of us are living proof that you can develop the skills you need to get through this very difficult time in your life. Feeling that you're being forced to learn new ways of coping can put an extra burden on you. It might seem at first that you won't learn the skills in time to be able to deal with a new crisis. 
You might even feel that you would have made different choices now than you did in the past if you had had all of the facts or if you had learned or understood something earlier about your illness or treatment. The overall goal of the Cancer Survival Toolbox and the programs it contains is to help you learn basic survival skills that can help you deal with your cancer diagnosis and treatment. One of the first things to learn from this program is this. From the time of diagnosis and for the balance of life, a person living with cancer is a survivor. These programs will review important self-advocacy skills, that is, ways to help you stand up for yourself so that you can make the quality of your life after cancer diagnosis as good as possible. In this series of programs, we will work on learning the six basic skills that healthcare professionals and cancer survivorship groups have found are essential to self-advocacy, communication skills, new ways to find the information you need, making decisions, solving problems in new ways, negotiating skills to help you get what you need, and ways that you can stand up for your own rights. The toolbox also contains programs on special topics like finding ways to pay for care and living beyond cancer, as well as programs on different types of cancers. These provide more specific information on topics that may be of interest to you. You may choose to listen to these programs in order, or you may choose to cover only certain topics. You can also listen to or read the programs on the Cancer Survival Toolbox website at www.canceradvocacy.org toolbox or download the audio files from iTunes. You may find it useful to listen to some of the programs more than once to refresh your memory on specific skills. While these programs have been designed to assist those of you who have recently been diagnosed, they will also help anyone at any stage of illness who is facing hard decisions and changes in their lives. Family members and caregivers can also use this toolbox on behalf of a child or anyone else in their care. The Cancer Survival Toolbox comes with a free resource booklet that is also available at www.canceradvocacy.org toolbox. This booklet lists many useful resources and organizations related to each toolbox topic. Now, let's begin with the program entitled Communicating. The goal of this program is to help you talk with others about your cancer in such a way that you gain the information you need and make sure other people understand your needs and wishes. Let's listen to Linda, an oncology social worker who works with cancer survivors, to find out why she thinks good communication is so important. Every day I see how important good communication skills are. Cancer survivors need to reach out to family and friends, to doctors and other health care workers, employers, and yes, insurance people, in order to get the best help they can. I work with cancer survivors and other members of the Cancer Survivors Health Care team, like the doctors and nurses. We know that people with cancer can feel overwhelmed and unable to communicate, so we try to ask them questions like, do you understand your medical condition? Do you need special counseling? How is your family doing? And do you have any concerns about your job or insurance coverage? But there may be things that are important to you that no one thinks to ask about. You may want the healthcare team to know about your wishes related to your family. You may not feel comfortable with the way members of the team explain things to you, 
or you may need to tell the team if you have religious beliefs or customs that you need them to respect. Don't forget, it's the job of the healthcare team to help you and make you feel comfortable. Sure, good communication can be a problem for most of us at any time. But when cancer enters a picture, things can get much tougher. All of a sudden, all sorts of thoughts and questions go racing through your mind. It's hard to know what to say or ask first. Some people may find it hard to talk to doctors who seem to know so much, use big medical words, and often do not have much time to talk. On the other hand, some survivors don't want to worry a family member, or they may expect a family member to know what to say or do without having to be told. Good communication means letting someone know clearly what you are thinking and feeling, and finding out what the other person is thinking and feeling, too. To me, it's like a friendly game of catch. One person throws a ball, so the other person can catch it without too much trouble. Then, the second person throws it back. The purpose is to keep the ball, the communication, going. Nobody's expecting you to be a star. All you have to do is learn and use some basic communication skills. So, how can you make sure you are communicating effectively? In this section, we will review five basic skills that can improve your understanding of what other people are trying to say to you and improve how well you communicate with them. Then, we'll hear these skills in action. The first skill is being assertive. Saying what you need to say in ways that make it clear to others that what you have to say is important. The second skill is using I messages. This means making statements with the word I in them, such as I think or I feel, rather than making statements like you should. The third communication skill is active listening. With this skill, you listen to someone carefully, show them you are listening, and then check the message with them to make sure that what you heard is what they actually meant. The fourth communication skill is matching what you say in words with what you say without words. If your facial expressions or actions send a different message from your words, like smiling when you tell someone you are in pain, people may be confused and not actually realize how uncomfortable you are. The fifth communication skill is expressing your feelings. This means letting others know how you feel as well as what you think. Keep in mind, good communication does not mean perfect communication. It does mean that two or more people use their skills to help each other get the story told and be understood clearly. Like the friendly game of catch Linda talked about, good communication means that one person tries to aim the message as directly as possible toward the receiver. In turn, the receiver is willing to move a little or stretch a bit if necessary to catch the message before returning it. Sometimes, one person with far better communication skills than the other has to stretch quite a bit to keep it going, and the ball may be dropped now and then, but it can always be picked up and thrown again. Now, let's take a closer look at each of these five communication skills. First, what do we mean when we say, be assertive? Being assertive means showing that you believe that what you say is really important. When it comes to your health, there's no such thing as a silly question. I appreciate it when a cancer survivor says, I really want to be involved in my treatment decisions, or I didn't quite get that, please say it again so I can understand better, because it makes my job easier. The second skill, using I messages. 
Most of the issues I discuss with cancer survivors are very hard to talk about. Issues so personal and important, most people are just not used to talking about these things. The quicker you can learn to communicate clearly and directly, the better off you will be. For example, when someone starts sentences by saying, I feel or I think, it is very helpful to me. I can better understand what that person is trying to tell me. The third communication skill, called active listening, involves making sure that the other person knows that you are listening carefully to what he or she said, followed by a check, to be sure that what you heard is really what that person meant to say. I use active listening every day. As I listen to a cancer survivor, I nod, while looking directly at the person when they speak, and then repeat back what I think the person has just said. For example, I check my active listening by saying, so, what I hear you saying is that, and then I tell the person what I heard and ask, is that right? It's easy to misunderstand when somebody else is speaking, and easy to think that a listener understands you when he or she may actually have a different thought in mind than what you intended. That's why checking the message is so important. The fourth skill we need to talk about is matching your words with your nonverbal communication. When I listen to cancer survivors, or anybody else for that matter, I notice many ways in which they communicate without words, by facial expressions, hand gestures, posture, or other body language. When I speak, I want to make sure my body language matches my words. If it doesn't, the listener won't know which message to believe. As a listener, I want to pay attention to the other person's nonverbal communication as well as to the words. Have you ever seen someone in a conversation say something like, That's interesting while yawning and slumping back in their seat, you don't really know what that person is trying to say. The fifth communication skill is expressing your feelings as well as your thoughts. It's healthy to be aware of what you're feeling and to share that with people who can help you. I recently heard a woman cancer survivor say, I feel angry. It just isn't fair that I got cancer when I was eating right and not smoking. Then she said, I'm so scared, I don't know what to do. Even though I couldn't change what has happened, I can understand how this woman is feeling at this time and how it will impact her care. I can listen and offer her support for the feelings she has just expressed. Now that we have reviewed the basics, let's listen to some cancer survivors and hear how they handle specific situations. Our first is Terry, a 25-year-old woman who found a lump in the right side of her neck. She has known her regular doctor, Dr. Blake, for five years but she has never been sick before. Now, Dr. Blake has referred Terry to a surgeon for tests. Let's hear how Terry describes her visit to a regular doctor to discuss the results of her biopsy and chest x-ray. I went into Dr. Blake's office. He was sitting behind his desk reading some papers. Then he looked straight at me and I sort of heard him say something like, Terry, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your biopsy is malignant. The pathologist needs to do some more tests to find out what kind of cancer you have. He kept on talking. I saw his lips moving, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. All I could do was stare at him, thinking, there must be some mistake. I feel fine. I can't have cancer. If Dr. Blake had been looking carefully at Terry's face and gesture, her body language, he would have realized that she was having a hard time understanding what he was saying. Often in that emotional first meeting with the doctor, a newly diagnosed cancer survivor will not remember much of what the doctor said. I learned that I need to be more assertive and use I messages. I really needed to understand what was going on. 
I should have asked Dr. Blake to slow down. And if I had thought of it, I should have written down what he was saying. That way I could have looked it over after I calmed down a little. So, the next time I went to see Dr. Blake, I had asked a close friend to come along to write down important notes. That was a huge help. At other times, when she wasn't able to come with me, I brought a tape recorder. Terry has learned how to handle communicating with her doctor, but she faces other challenges in communicating with her husband, Mike. He loves Terry and does not want anything bad to happen to her, but he is very scared. He is afraid to tell her how he feels because he does not want her to know how much the idea of cancer scares him. This reaction is common in many families because people want to protect their loved ones. Mike's face and eyes tell Terry that he is worried, even though he tells her he knows she will be fine. Terry tells him that she is scared and asks him if he is. Mike manages to admit that he is scared too, but he reassures Terry that he will be there to help. When they share their feelings, they feel stronger, knowing that they are in it together. This helps them tell each other what they need from each other to get through the experience of cancer. While I was in the hospital for a biopsy, I was in a lot of pain. I took the pain medicine the nurses had given me, but it made me sick to my stomach. So they gave me some other medicine for my stomach. I could see that Mike was feeling pretty helpless. He wanted to help me, but what could he do? The only thing he could do was try to get me to think about anything that would help me forget being in the hospital and having cancer. A little later, I got bad cramps. I was all curled up on the hospital bed, so Mike asked me if I wanted him to curl up with me and hold me tight, the way he does at home. He is so sweet. He really wants to help me. I said yes, hoping it would make both of us feel better. People who have been sexually intimate before cancer need to take time to talk about their many different feelings after cancer has come into their relationship. One partner may be afraid of hurting the other physically during sexual activity. A person with cancer may worry about not being physically attractive to his or her partner after having cancer. Talking about feelings is not an easy thing for everyone to do. Social workers, nurses, psychologists, and clergy are some people who can help you deal with these feelings. If the first person you ask for help is not able to give you the help you need, ask them to refer you to someone else. Support groups are sometimes a good place to talk about these feelings. Why not try a simple exercise now, if it's convenient for you? Take some paper and a pencil and write down all the things you would like to know about your cancer. Try not to think about it first. Just write your thoughts down as they come into your head. Keep in mind that any question that comes up is a good question. When you have finished writing down your questions, look them over. Are there any that you have never asked? Next to these questions, write down the name of someone who you think may be able to help you get the answer. That person could be your doctor or a clinic nurse, social worker, support group member, home health care nurse, hospital educator, librarian, or pharmacist. Another resource to help you better communicate with your healthcare team is the NCCS booklet on teamwork. This booklet provides lists of questions and tips that might be useful at different points in your experience, from before treatment begins through your transition off of treatment. This free booklet is available online at www.canceradvocacy.org or you can order a copy by calling 888-650-9127.
Let's hear from another cancer survivor. This is Maria Elena Martinez, who is 55 years old. She came from Mexico 10 years ago with her husband, Jose, and two of her four grown children. Maria speaks basic English pretty well, but Jose does not. Her surgeon has just telephoned Maria to tell her that her biopsy shows breast cancer. He has set up an appointment for her tomorrow so that he can tell her about the treatment she will get. When my doctor called, I was home all alone. I was so shocked to hear that I have cancer. I didn't know what to do. Good thing that Jose came home soon. How could this happen? What can I do? I asked him. We didn't know, but decided not to tell the children until we had more time to think about it. I asked Jose to come to the clinic with me the next day. The surgeon talked so fast with so many words we didn't know. He said, you must have an operation, a mastectomy. He had already scheduled the operation for a few days later. We didn't know what to do. It was all happening so fast. I was brought up to show respect for important people, like this surgeon. He knows so much, but I couldn't even look at him as he talked. All I knew was that I was unhappier than ever before in my life. His nurse asked me to sign a consent form to say it's okay to have the operation. If he thought it was the right thing to do, I would do it. Even though I wanted more time to think about it, I signed the form anyway. Otherwise, he might think that I do not respect him. After that, I talked with my children, told them about my cancer and what had happened with the surgeon. They were shocked too. They were so good. Hugged me, kissed me, so good. My daughter then thought about her friend's mother. Her name is Teresa. She had breast cancer and got treated about two years ago. She's very healthy and happy now. I called Teresa right away. I was so happy to help Maria Elena. I went over to see her soon after she heard about her diagnosis. I told her that I had had breast cancer too and got good treatment for it. I told her that I know how afraid I was when I found out. We talked about the surgeon. Yes, I said respect is important to both of us. But that is not enough now. This is your decision and it will affect your life and happiness. There are other treatments for women with breast cancer. Me, I had just a small part of my breast removed and then had radiation. Maybe that could work for you, I told her. You need to ask and find out. It is your doctor's responsibility to tell you in words you can understand or to have someone else give you that information. It is your right to find out. I was even a little more scared, even though I thought maybe there was some hope. But I told Teresa that the operation was already scheduled. How can I change that now? And maybe it's dangerous to wait. But no, Teresa said I could ask that too. Her doctor had told her it was okay for her to wait a week or two to make sure she was comfortable with her decision. What she says makes me feel better, stronger. Yes, it is my decision. I will talk with Jose and my children, tell them how I feel and see how they feel. Teresa helped me decide to go see the surgeon and tell him that I need more information. I want to know if there is some other treatment for me. Maria Elena has learned three important communication skills. She is ready to be assertive. She has started using I messages and is expressing her feelings. 
To get really prepared to talk with the surgeon, Maria Elena asked Teresa to do a role-play exercise with her. Maria Elena would act as herself, and Teresa would act as the surgeon. It's good for Maria Elena to practice with Teresa. This way, she might not be so scared talking with the surgeon. This is an exercise you can try, too, with or without a role-play partner. Pretend you are Maria Elena, getting ready to walk into the surgeon's office. Think about what you need to say and how you will say it. Use your skills. Be assertive. Use I messages and express how you feel. If you are scared or confused, that's okay. The surgeon needs to know that in order to understand your feelings and respond in the right way. To help understand the differences that good communication skills can make, let's listen to a family's discussion of how to handle a child's need to fit chemotherapy into her life. Angela Neva is 13 years old and has recently been told she has cancer. She lives in the city with her mother and father. Angela attends a large middle school and has different teachers for each school subject. The whole family has been terribly upset since hearing the diagnosis. Now they are starting to plan how to work to help Angela get the treatment she needs. Okay, Angela. I talked with the nurse this afternoon. She told me about your treatments and what we need to do. Starting next Friday night, we will bring you to the treatment center across town for one night every week for the next three weeks. You will stay overnight while you get your treatment, and we will pick you up on Saturday morning. The treatments are very good. They will help you get all better soon. She also told me that some treatments have side effects. You might feel sick for a few days after each treatment. She will help us get through it. But that's why your treatments are scheduled for Friday night, so you won't miss too much school. My friends can't know about this. You can't tell anybody at school either. Nobody can know about this. You're right, Angela. It's nobody else's business. No, no. Your teachers have to know. Angela, we have to tell them. Mom, no. Nobody has to find out. We can keep it secret. As they continue to argue, you can hear what's going on. Angela and her parents are feeling the stress of not knowing what to do. But they are not really saying what they mean or how they feel. And they're not really listening to each other, just sticking to their point of view. What we hear Angela say may mean that she is afraid that people will treat her differently if they know she has cancer. Like every teenager, she wants to fit in, to be treated like other girls her age. Mr. Neva is worried about his daughter's health, and he wants to help her by taking her side. Of course, Mrs. Neva is also worried, but she is thinking about practical matters, like what might happen if Angela misses too much school and nobody understands why. She may fear that this will only put more pressure on Angela. What might this same conversation sound like if Angela and her parents used some of the communication skills we have been talking about? That's why your treatments are scheduled for Friday night, so you won't miss too much school. I'm concerned that if you miss too much at school, it may only make you worry more. I'm worried about that, too. I don't want to miss out with my friends, but I'm more afraid that, you know, people will kind of treat me differently if they know I'm sick. I can understand how you would feel that way. I know this is tough on you. We're going to help you every way we possibly can. I know you don't want to miss out on things at school. It's got to be hard, especially with your friends. Your good friends will understand. They will help you through it. 
But I am concerned about your teachers. What if they don't know why you might miss some school or can't get assignments done on time? I really feel that we have to let people at school know. That's less for you to worry about. Overall, you could hear that there was a lot less stress all around in this second discussion. You heard Angela be assertive, using I messages to express her feelings. She was also listening actively to what her mother said. Notice that she checked her mother's concern, thinking that it was about missing out on being with her friends at school. Both of her parents used those same skills to let Angela know how concerned they are about her health and her emotions. You may also have noticed how her mother listened actively to Angela's concerns and corrected a misunderstanding. Her mother was not so much worried about Angela missing her friends at school, but about falling behind in her schoolwork. This check allowed her mother to reinforce her point of view and work toward a solution that everyone could be happy with. Angela and her parents agreed to write a note to her teachers. It said, Dear teachers, Angela is receiving medical treatment at St. Jude's Hospital. She will be missing school for at least one day each week for the next few weeks for her treatments. It is important to Angela that she try to keep up with her work and fit in with her friends at school. We hope you can help us. Angela will let you know if she needs extra help. If you think she needs extra help or to have a problem solved, please let us know by note or a telephone call. Thank you for your understanding. Good communication skills aren't just for conversations, but can be used in writing, too. The note is assertive in stating what is going on to the extent that the teachers need to know and uses a kind of I message in which it is made clear what Angela will be doing. Some schools and many medical providers are now using the Internet to make communication easier for families. There are a number of ways the Internet can be used. Let's hear from Daryl, a grandparent who has used the Internet to keep in touch with family and friends during his treatment for cancer. I have four great kids, but they live all over the country now. One daughter is a nurse, but she lives a thousand miles away and can't come to every doctor's appointment. I take my cell phone into the appointment with me and put it on speaker so she can hear what the doctor says. And she can ask him questions right there. Also, when I was in the hospital, they had a program for us to set up a website that we could use to share information with our friends and family members. I'm a pretty private person, but my wife and I agree on what information to put on the website and what to keep private. My granddaughter in college could send me messages through it, and friends can even organize meals for us using that website. Communicating has been much easier with all these tools. A list of websites you can use to help keep your family and friends updated can be found in the Cancer Survival Toolbox resource booklet. Before you create a web page, you may want to discuss with your family how much and what types of information you are comfortable sharing with others. In conclusion, the examples we listen to remind us that communication may present many challenges for cancer survivors. You can overcome challenges by using good communication skills, being assertive, using I messages, active listening, expressing your feelings, and matching verbal and nonverbal communication. As a final note, please refer to the booklet that came with the Cancer Survival Toolbox for a list of nationwide resources specifically for cancer survivors. 
Two organizations that you may want to contact are the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, which has free booklets on remaining hopeful after a cancer diagnosis, advocating for yourself and others, working with your healthcare team to make sure your needs are met, navigating insurance issues, and understanding your employment rights. NCCS can also provide you with information on cancer survivorship issues. Their number is 1-888-650-9127 or visit www.canceradvocacy.org, www.canceradvocacy.org. The Counseling Line from Cancer Care at 1-800-813-HOPE for one-on-one -on -one counseling, telephone support groups, and referral to other referral services. Their number again is 1-800-813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673. This is the end of the Cancer Survival Toolbox program entitled Communicating. You may also want to listen to other Cancer Survival Toolbox programs such as Finding Information, Making Decisions, and First Steps for the Newly Diagnosed.